Welcome to Grace Story Podcast. We're here to connect you with education, resources, and community that equip you for the journey of restoration. My name's Nate Davison, and I am your host here at Grace Story Podcast. I'm glad that you've joined us for this episode, one with an interesting title, Lessons on Life from an Undertaker. You're not going to want to miss what our guest Tom Sproles has to share with us on the episode today. Now, some will say that we have lined up this episode with this time of the year as we speak to an undertaker in the month of October. But I assure you, uh, this is just coincidence. It's just how it lined up. Um, So, uh, you know, we can put that one to uh, we can lay that one to rest, you might say. Now, if that last pun made you say good grief in your head, uh, that's okay because that's one of the topics we'll be covering today, uh, along with things like trust and leadership and uh, also some great antidotes of things that happen behind the scenes uh, or or at funeral uh, homes, whenever uh, funeral services are taking place. Uh, It's an episode I know you're not going to want to miss. Speaking of things you are not going to want to miss, Grace Story Conference is is you're you're not going to want to miss out. It's uh, November fifth and sixth uh, in twenty twenty one here coming up in Cincinnati, Ohio at the SNC Life Center. Um, if you haven't already gotten your registration squared away, you can head over to gracestoryministries.com, uh, click on the conference tab, and get it all squared away right now. Uh, there's a lot of people that you know that are going to be there, and I don't want you to miss out. It is something you have to experience in person to understand just why uh, everyone is like, hey, this is awesome. I love it, the content. Um, and if you think about about it. It really is. You, you can pay upwards of a hundred plus dollars an hour for one hour of uh, uh, counseling. So when you start looking at that uh, cost to go to conference, two hours of counseling versus two days of this type of content, counseling content, and you'll be able to make connections with professionals and speakers and people with stories and people just like you as well as professional counselors um, that you can uh, pick their brain just like you have, we have come on this podcast and share with you. Uh, so head on over there. And if you want to save an extra 25%, uh, go ahead and type in podcast 25, all one word there, and it'll save you 25% off of the cost of conference. Again, you're not going to want to miss it. Our guest today is Tom Sproles. He is someone that many of you may know. Uh, Tom Sproles is a licensed funeral director and certified funeral service practitioner with over 25 years of experience in funeral service. Uh, he began his funeral service career in 1989 at a local funeral home. He graduated from Cincinnati College of Mortuary Science in 1991 and earned his bachelor's degree in business administration from my alma mater, uh, Indiana Wesleyan University. Uh, Tom is the only funeral director in his county to achieve the Certified Funeral Service Practitioner designation from the Academy of Professional Funeral Service Practice. Uh, Prior to opening his funeral home, Tom has held several positions, one of which is in a regional funeral home management uh, system for eight years. He oversaw the operation of 35 funeral homes and 17 cemeteries in central Indiana and Ohio, and he serves on the State Board of Funeral and Cemetery Services, where he was appointed by then-Governor Mike Pence. 
Tom is active in the community, serving on boards of the Newcastle Henry County Public Library, Henry County Pregnancy Care Center, the Grace Holiness Church, Heartland Christian School, and Glen Oaks Health Campus. Tom and his wife, Mary Beth, a registered nurse, have three children and two grandchildren with one on the way. Tom sings professionally as well and has recorded three CDs, Peace, Healing Hands, and his most recent project, Always Faithful. All of these are available at the Funeral Home Resource Center for Tom Sproles, and we'll make that link available in the show notes for easy access for you. Tom is obviously well-rounded, multifaceted, uh, very talented. Uh, We're excited about what he has to offer uh, with his experiences uh, to us on this show, uh, entitled Lessons on Life from an undertaker. So let's jump in right now to our conversation with Tom Sproles. Tom Sproles on the Grace Story podcast today. Such a pleasure to have, uh, well, someone of your stature and excellence um, on wow. Grace Story podcast. How you doing? <laughs> I'm doing well today, Nate. Thanks for having me on. I've been looking forward to it. Well, you know, we we uh, we we don't normally get to have uh, frank conversations with funeral directors, um, and I'm sure it's the same as in the nursing profession. Whenever I let people know my experience in the emergency department, uh, you probably have people ask you the same question: What's the craziest thing you've ever seen, or what's that like? Are there crazy experiences you have at funerals or 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 bedside or excuse me, graveside? Bedside for me, but graveside for you. Well, I'll tell you, there there are crazy experiences all throughout life, and and when death occurs, uh, that there's no it's no exception. Uh, crazy things happen at uh, funerals and gravesides and and uh, bedsides, and uh, as you've seen as a nurse, probably things uh, can get crazy when you're dealing with people. Things can get crazy. So yes, yes, I get asked that question a lot, and. Uh, I think I've had so many crazy things happen over the years. They just kind of all blurred together. And I really have to pick through and pick a few out because there's really not a week that goes by in funeral service that you don't have uh, some crazy things happen. So I'm guessing you might want to hear one or two. Is that right? Well, you know, (laughs) I I have that same trouble because I'm like, do you want the weird thing? Do you want the sad thing? Do you want the one where it went violent, the one where everybody was crying. What do you, right. what do you want exactly? We, we have them all. Any, in any category, uh, there, there uh, are experiences in, in funeral service. I think probably one of the craziest things that I had happened, we, we were burying a lady and we showed up to the gravesite after the funeral and got the pallbearers in place, placed the casket on the lowering device and you know, got the family all situated and seated. And, and somebody looks around and says, you know, where, where, where's Junior? And I look around and I don't, I don't see Junior. And so I said, well, let me go check before we get started. I'll go check. And so I'll walk back to the line of cars in procession and there Junior was sitting in his Jeep. And I walked up and I said, uh, Hey, Junior, are you all right? And I just kind of leaned into his open window and he is sitting there with a gun in his hand, a pistol in his oh hand. And he says, I'm going to kill her. I'm going to kill her right now. And I said, no, Junior, he was, I knew instantly he was referring to his, his father's uh, second wife who had been on the scene about two years and, and her uh, deadbeat children had taken all of his dad's money and his belongings and, and uh, all of those things that 
rightfully should have went to Junior and his siblings. And Junior decided at that point it was time to uh, kill his stepmom. And I said, Junior, look, uh, we can, you could do that. You know, you, you can do that. You can go up and shoot her. And then you're going to spend uh, the last 30 years of your life in prison somewhere. Or you can just come up to the graveside and spend 10 more minutes. And then you don't ever have to see this woman or talk to this woman again in your life. You can get her totally out of your life. And so he sat there for a little bit. I didn't know which direction he was going to take. And he finally opened his glove box, stuck his pistol in his glove box, and then walked up and we finished the graveside. So uh, that uh, that kind of was one of the uh, toughest ones that I've had, having to talk someone out of killing their their stepmom at the graveside. So you mentioned violence and that one kind of sparked, <laughs> well, <laughs> sparked that. Well, my question I had, is, I hadn't thought about that in years. <laughs> well, uh, my question was, is more, how do you forget something like that? You know, I, I, right. I, right. Uh, wow. And you know, we, we talk about stressors in life and the emotions. I can't right. imagine another time when the emotions have to be running higher than, than at a funeral uh, for someone that you love. Um, That's right. You see the emotions all come out at a time like that. Well, and and some do say that they, you know, they have had difficult experiences or stressful experiences Mm -hmm. that, that they learn important life lessons from. Um, Right. And I think about that, but I wonder, does that statement ring true when it comes to death or burying someone we know? I guess my question is, can, can we actually learn something from death? Uh, from those experiences and the loss, or is it just coping and surviving through that? I, 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 does that make sense? Yeah. Oh, it, it, it does. Uh, I don't think that we can experience a death and not learn lessons from it uh, and it forever alter uh, our life. I, I think probably the relationship you have with the person who died, the closeness of the relationship and maybe their life, whether they had lived a, a long life or been cut short in life, uh, all of that plays a part into the lessons that we learn. Probably the most important lesson we learn when we are around death is that we too will face death uh, one day. I think that's probably one of the biggest blessings of my career. I am constantly reminded that I too, uh, Tom Sproles, you will be in this, this casket one day. And what we learn about death teaches a lot of, uh, us a lot about life, and, and that helped us. I, I think of the a scripture just popped in my mind, you know, uh, Lord, teach us to number our days. Uh, give us wisdom, uh, you know, teach us to number our days. And I think being exposed to death does that. That's kind of the theme of, of the, the title of this podcast, Lessons on Life from an undertaker, which kind of seems like an oxymoron in a way, but, um, sure. You know, when, whenever you're faced with that sobering fact, uh, life is but a vapor. We're only here for a moment. Um, Right. Continually having that in front of you. I mean, that, that has to have a theme through, uh, many of those experiences for you. It does. It does. I, I, I'm thinking just, uh, and this week, here we are, uh, just a few days into this week. And, I've uh, cared for a 37-year-old that died in a car accident, a 32-year-old who died of cancer, a six-month-old who died unexpectedly. I had her 
a funeral service yesterday, just a little beautiful angel that passed away unexpected. And and then I have a 86-year-old funeral coming up uh, on Sunday. And so there are all of these deaths at different points in life. And so the reminder is uh, consistently to uh, teach me to number my days and how, you know, the importance of, of living a life and being prepared for death. Is there, you mentioned the wide range of age there, mm-hmm. six months clear to 86. Right. Uh, is, this may seem like a stupid question, but is it easier whenever they're in their 80s? Uh, is the is the spirit different? The the atmosphere different at a funeral like that? It's totally different. It's totally different. And I would never want to minimize any grief uh, of loss for anyone. Uh, I think back my my grandfather, the only grandfather that I I had and, and knew. My my mom's dad died uh, before I was born. Shortly before I was born, uh, my grandfather, my dad's dad, I had him just until. Uh, December the 26th, the day after Christmas, this last Christmas, he passed away at age 95. And uh, while I I definitely have grieved his passing and grieved his absence in my life, um, there's no way that the level of grief uh, for him would be the same as it would be for a a 37-year-old who died in a car accident or a six-month-old. There are certainly different uh, levels of grief, um, depending on circumstances and and depending on uh, the age and things like that. Yes, when someone's lived a good long life, uh, death seems to be natural, and so I think we can assimilate that and and understand that better in our lives, and work through that grief process a whole lot. Uh, I don't want to say easier, but but it's it's not quite as intense and not quite as long as a grieving process uh, for, you know, compared to uh, an earlier death. Well, and part of that has to be the, the expectation. I know in, in the episodes that we talked with Ryan Waters on what to do with grief, a two-part episode, he says that grief is not finite. There's not just a, you know, we don't have to share it. My grief, if I have more, doesn't diminish yours. Right, um, right. And along with what you're talking about, if we're all going to die um, uh-huh. and we're all going to experience death, or if we're all going to experience others dying, how do we best prepare for death? Sure, sure. That's a excellent question. I think, first of all, uh, is just having an understanding that we are going to die. You know, we live uh, in a culture here in America, our Western culture, I think, I think the baby boomers are the first generation to think that death is optional, uh, that, that uh, maybe we can somehow bypass uh, this death. So I think just first understanding that we all are going to die and um, then how then shall we live? And I think by, by preparing, the best preparation for death is, is living every moment of life in that moment and enjoying life to the fullest and uh, being prepared, yes, being prepared uh, spiritually, uh, there is an afterlife. Well, I believe there's an afterlife, and we need to make those preparations. I don't think that we should live in a uh, continual fear of death, uh, even though we rationally know that's going to happen. Uh, 
but uh, yes, we should we should be prepared for it. We should live life to the fullest, live without regrets. Uh, we're all going to make mistakes and we're going to have some regrets, but making peace with those regrets and things that we could have done better or differently and, and just being at peace with that and uh, enjoying the, enjoying each moment that we live and being present in each moment that we live, I think is the best preparation for death. Well, and you bring up fear there, um, mm-hmm. which especially right now, there seems to be a lot of conversation um, on different levels about different topics of what what is fear, what does it mean to live in fear, um, mm-hmm. and and you actually have a hashtag you've been using on on your social media sites hashtag ah, it works my- it's so social media works yeah <laughs> <laughs> my campaign against fear. <laughs> Uh, oh, what's, yes. what's the inspiration behind that? And what's your, what's your goal with kind of posting oh. things with that hashtag? Well, that's, that's great. And I'm, I'm very, very happy to talk about that. It's kind of, uh, stirred my, my uh, passion here a little bit in the last few uh, weeks. Uh, I think we're living at a time, at least in my lifetime, I don't think in all of lifetime, uh, in all of life, all of history, are we at, you know, the highest level of fear that there's ever been. Uh, but there's certainly a, a higher amount of fear today than than I ever remember in my 51 years on this earth. And so, you know, I think we have to kind of define fear. First of all, there is the emotion of fear. That's a God-given uh, emotion. It's a it's a mechanism to keep us safe. You know, when I visited the Grand Canyon with my family, I had a healthy fear of the uh, the cliff and we didn't get too close to the cliff and I didn't let my family get too close to the cliff and we all lived uh, to, to tell about it. So there is a fear that is God given and it's a true emotion that helps us, keeps us safe in life. However, what you see promulgated on uh, social media and today is we, we have just an enormity of irrational fears and, and really, really more, Clearly defined, it would be worries and anxieties. We live in in a time of high anxiety. And so there are people, many, many people who are very fear-based and their personalities lend themselves to being fearful. Thankfully, I am not a fear-based person. uh, And I think one way to avoid that is to live in the present moment. I I live in the present moment about 90% of the time. And so fear and anxiety and worry comes from living in the future in your mind. It's, it's future oriented and it's unhealthy and it keeps us on a heightened state of panic and, uh, you know, and stress that is not good for us mentally. It's not good for us physically. It robs us of peace in the present moment. And so there Unfortunately, with social media, there is a platform that we all have today, and uh, we can choose to uh, use it wisely, or we can promote fear, and a lot of people are promoting fear, and so I'm pushing back against fear. You know, I was at Methodist Hospital the other day uh, receiving uh, a loved one uh, who passed into our care, and as I, I went in the door, there was a sign on the door that said, please take responsibility for the energy you bring into this space. 
Your words matter, your behaviors matter, our patience and our teams matter. Take a slow, deep breath and make sure your energy is in check before entering. And I snapped a picture of it on my phone and and I want to say that to people using social media uh, as well. Take responsibility for what you're putting out there. And if you are promoting irrational fear and anxiety producing statements and things like that, that naturally appeal to the to the to a side of, of our emotions that is not helpful. It's not beneficial. Uh, and I, I'm pushing back against. I'm saying stop. Think about that before you put that out into the world. You know, used to we we all knew growing up. We you know, there were people who we called worry wards. You know, oh they're just they're a worry ward. You know, I had a, a, maybe a great grandmother that was that way, just worried and stewed over everything. None of it ever happened, but just fretted and and constantly filled with anxiety, and it just it was miserable being around her. And so I'm pushing back against that. We we can't get away so much as we used to. We could avoid people who were worry warts, but today uh, it's in our face. It's on our social media feeds, and and I, there are ways we can minimize that. And I do frequently unfollow many people because I just can't take what they're putting out there. Uh, I'm I'm too based in reality here to be worried about the future. I've spent a career of 32 years so far at that point where where the rubber meets the road. This is as about as real as it gets being in funeral service. And, and I have to have all of my energy and my focus toward p- helping people who are grieving. I don't have time for, for all of this other. That's why I don't watch the news. I, I haven't watched the news for many, many years. Uh, now, if something happens and, and I want to find out more about it, I will. But very, very rarely do I pay any attention to the news. I have no control over the news. And so why would I spend my time and energy worrying about things outside of my control? I can't, I can't do that. And so that's just my way. My, my campaign against fear hashtag is just my way of pushing back against people who are uh, promoting, whether it's political and I don't care what side of the aisle you're on, it happens on both sides. Um, I, whether it's pandemic related or vaccine related, whatever it is, I don't have time for all of the irrational fear that is being promoted uh, into the world right now. They say 98% of what we worry about, you know, never happens. So uh, you can either look at that as, you know, it's totally futile to to worry, or you can say, hey, I worried about it. 98% of it didn't happen, so it's a pretty <laughs> high a high success rate. Yeah, uh, I tend I tend to think is the former, but. Uh, I think we counteract fear by staying present in the moment, you know, there, and I, and I understand there are people who have a serious problem with anxiety and worry. And I think they need, they, they need to get professional help with it. They need to learn how to process that in a healthy manner. I do it by staying present in the moment, you know, or asking myself, am I okay right now? Am I fine right now? Uh, is there anything that I need right now? I think if we ask ourselves most of the time, we're actually doing all right and everything's uh, pretty good uh, at, at the moment. You know, I think of the scripture passage in, in Matthew 6, uh, where Jesus says, take no thought, you know, for your life, you know, what you'll eat, what you'll drink, you know, or even for your body. Who of you, by being anxious, can add one moment to his lifespan? You know, there are bad things that happen. There are bad things that are going to happen. 
uh, we'll face those battles when we get there. The Lord will give us grace when we get there. But I don't want to spend any time or energy worrying or fearing it uh, before that time happens. It, it, it takes a lot of what could be productive time that you could be doing something helpful and, and caring for others and making a difference in the world by spending that time fearful and, and unproductive. Well, I'm trying to break down what your campaign is and uh-huh. what what I hear is your campaign and really what your tools are for yourself is self-reflection. Yes. Scripture. Yes. Living in the moment. Yes. Sharing encouragement with others. Right. Working with your hands. Yes. And caring for others and, and giving to others in any way you can with service. That sounds like a pretty good recipe for success to me. Well, you pretty much nailed me right there, Nate. That that's that's my that's my life pretty much in a nutshell. Uh, 90% of the time. Well, that goes to one of my uh, favorite scripture verses. Uh I'm forgetting the exact reference right now, but it basically says, uh, live a quiet life and work with your hands. Yes. Uh, And and you'll be, you'll be successful in life. That's right. Um, My dad, that's one of my goals. My dad, who's a minister, uh, you know, would preach from that. I I heard him preach from that many times as a young person. He was a car carpenter and a contractor, a church builder. And uh, I think that was his main main, uh, verse was to study to be quiet and to work with your own hands and and stay out of everybody else's business. You know, just do your thing, do the best you can do and do as much as you can do. And then everything else will be all right. (laughs) That's that's probably not the best advertisement for social media. Uh, No, no, that's right. (laughs) So m- moving deeper on fear yes. and, and after kind of understanding what your campaign is and how you work with it, what's maybe the best advice you've received on on living with fear or moving through fear or just fear in general? Sure, sure. Well, I think the best uh, advice on fear is uh, just to face it head on. You know, if you're afraid of heights, uh, go jump out of an airplane and, and, and overcome that fear. Uh, don't don't let fear rule your life. You know, like the like the Nike commercial, just do it. Uh, I don't think fear is the is the monster that it, it wants you to believe that it is. Often, fear you know it grows to this huge. It makes things seem so huge, and really they're not. Uh, most things are not. And so, just facing your your fear head on, I think, is probably the best advice. You know, you can. You can be fearful. Uh, maybe you're maybe you're afraid of, of public speaking. The best the best way to overcome that is to speak in public, you know, and whatever you're you're fearing, uh, face your fears and, and don't let it rule your life. You know, they say there's two master emotions, love and fear, and that all good emotions stem from love and all, all bad emotions stem from fear. And I think there's a lot of truth to that. I think love is the best antidote to fear. So facing your fears is what I would to answer your question on that, probably the best advice. Well, they have that that song, the the contemporary song, "Fear, Fear is a Liar," mm-hmm. um, and I do believe fear. You know, it, it's very real to the individual experiencing yeah, it, yes. and it really is as big as the amount of belief you put into the lie that fear gives you. That's right. Now, with that, the fear of death, the fear of of the unknown after death, uh-huh. are those themes that you see? at uh, end of life celebrations or funerals, or are there other themes that you see occurring as well um, at at funerals? Uh, You know, it's amazing to me 
that, uh, you know, if, if someone has lived, a, a, say, an average lifespan, a, a good long life, and, and I, I see people pretty much at peace when they're dying. Uh, people have come, have made peace with death and uh, faced it very courageously. I don't, I don't see a lot of fear leading up to death, to be honest with you. I've never really thought about it much from that perspective, but now that you've asked the question, I don't, I don't see a lot of people uh, fearing death. It's amazing to me, uh, and of course, we do a lot of uh, pre-planning of funerals. And, and it's very it's very different when someone comes in after they've been given a, a terminal diagnosis, and we sit down and and we talk about death, and we talk about what they would what type of services they would want and what their wishes would be. I, I find mostly incredible courage at a time like that after the acceptance of death has occurred. Well, man, having those conversations uh, where you're looking someone in the face and this is about you and which box we're going to put you in. And we know it's going to be six feet under, but what do you want on top of that uh, earth right ahead of you? Yes. Uh, and man, to have a conversation like that requires so much candor and mm-hmm. trust and mm-hmm. that, that amount of trust. How, how do you build that trust with someone quickly mm. that, uh, that you're, you're, you're providing a service to? But also, along with that question, maybe how do we build trust with others to have influence in general? Boy, that's that's an excellent question around the uh, you know around the issue of trust. Trust, I think, and and I think of you as a nurse and me as a funeral director. Uh, people are entrusting us with uh, their most valued possession, their loved one, and I think. Initially, let's just say it's a family that I don't know uh, that comes into the funeral home and, and they trust us with their loved one's care and with handling the arrangements. I think they give us, maybe I could call it tentative trust. They extend, yeah. they extend us a little bit of tentative trust and then, and then it's up to us what we do with that. And we either solidify that trust and grow that trust or, or we don't. And so, I take that trust very, very seriously, and it is something that I guard very carefully. And how I develop that trust, first of all, I've known for many, many years as a young funeral director, I I would watch this play out in an arrangement conference with people that I did not know. It It takes about five to eight minutes for people to trust me. I'm sure that's different with different people. Uh, I'm sure our personality plays a lot into that. How we make people feel plays into that. But I can I can tell. I know exactly when when the guard comes down and they open up their heart to me, and and I take that trust they're placing in my care very very seriously. And how I add to that trust is by doing what I say that I'm going to do. And in addition to that, going above and beyond uh, what that I say that I'm going to do, making it better than they thought it could be, better than what was in their mind, the experience was in their mind. I often have families tell me as we're leaving the arrangement conference, Tom, this was so much was so much easier than uh, than what I thought, you know. 
And so I feel like that trust, uh, it's a very, it's a very pre- precious gift people give me. And so I, I do, I want to do whatever I can do to, uh, you know, protect that trust and, and guard that trust very seriously. It sounds like, uh, if I were to put that into some sort of formula for building trust, uh, huh. It's recognizing that there is trust, uh, uh, tentative trust, uh-huh. meeting or setting realistic expectations, uh-huh. meeting those expectations and exceeding those expectations consistently. Yes. yes. And I, and I think we have to add in the element of, of truth and to trust and being honest with them. Uh, I think honesty is the, the foundation of trust. And so uh, just every step of the way, we have to uh, build that trust and guard that trust with families. It, it's something that can be destroyed very easily. And, and I want to guard that trust. The job that you do is not an easy one, to say the least. Um, and I feel like having dabbled in with that type of work a little bit, mm-hmm. I, I picked up um, deceased, uh, individuals for, mm-hmm. uh, some extra cash in college, sure. um, which you didn't, you didn't need a license to do that. You just needed a, a, a social security number for the payroll in a suit. Right. Uh, right. And you were all set. Uh, right. But dabbling in that a little bit, I understand, you know, the toll it can kind of take, you can get a little desensitized, um, mm. to death in a way. Mm. Are there ways uh, you know, you've dabbled in this a little bit with mm-hmm. uh, the campaign against fear, your self-care. Are there more ways that you avoid the burnout or becoming desensitized to death and dying um, in your profession? Because I think others in our current culture where death just seems to be everywhere. My mm-hmm. Facebook feed is right. full of either death or dying. And it right. doesn't matter right. the age uh, or, or or where they are. It just seems like it's everywhere. Right. Um, are there ways that you do self-care around there not to be desensitized to death and die? Yeah, yeah, that's that's an excellent question. I, I would kind of break that into two. Uh, I wish, uh, this is going to sound really strange perhaps, I wish there was a way that I could become a little desensitized to dying because after 32 years, uh, I've never become desensitized to it. Hmm. And um and I, I don't know any way other than to get in the bucket of grief with the family and be right there with them, walk them through that horrible valley of grief. I've never been able to be desensitized to grief. And so I know people that are. In fact, it was a worry of mine when I started the funeral home I started with. I saw funeral directors who had been you know, in the in procession, profession for years and they were calloused to grief, and and uh, but I I never got that way, and I think one and it, and it has taken a toll on me uh, physically. It's it, it I, I buried a six month old yesterday, and and uh, I came home totally spent. I mean, I didn't have an ounce of energy. Uh, I went to bed at eight o'clock sharp, and uh, it, I was just exhausted, the sheer exhaustion of grief. And so if you don't feel a portion of a family's grief, then I don't think, I don't think you make a very good funeral director. That's my, my opinion. Now, uh, it takes a, a, a toll on us. I think that's the ministry component of grief. You, you have empathy. You have compassion. You, you get in there with them through it. Uh, and that 
honestly has been the driver for me to maintain extremely high standards in funeral service and to not allow the the uh, details to go unnoticed uh, in funeral service and to, and to allow things to uh, be done halfway. You know, I think that that I feel the family's grief helps me uh, to do uh, excellent work. And so it's exhausting. And self-care is, I'm going to be honest with you, Nate, it's not something that I've done well. Uh, I I went through a period of burnout about five years ago, just just hit the bottom uh, with burnout. And it took me it took me a lot of work and a lot of uh, of uh, uh, reflection and a lot of time and and even some medicine to help get me back to a point uh, where uh, I was. Uh, my doctor said I was either uh, getting ready to have a nervous breakdown, or as he said, I think you've already started that. But with the Lord's help and some good physicians and some changes in in my practices, uh, then I was able to to uh, overcome that. Uh, but those who are caregivers often uh, are great at caring for others and terrible about caring for themselves. And so I've had to learn, uh, I've had to learn to get exercise, to be in nature, to uh, spend some time in solitude and uh, rest and reflect and, and not feel like I had to do it all. Today, I do a lot more through my staff and, and then than uh, trying to do it all myself. And so these are some hard lessons that I've had to learn in life. Uh, but self-care is extremely important. And uh, I am learning it, still learning, and, and still trying to improve in that area. Well, I want to build on that with a little uh, another question because it, sure, seems like, sure. it seems like happiness would be uh-huh. a hard uh, thing to have in your career field. And, sure. and, but it sounds like through some trial and error and experience and burnout and highs and lows while still doing uh, the utmost you can for your clients um, and, and empathizing and feeling their grief uh-huh. and being there with them, getting down in into the dirt with them where they sure. are and helping to raise them up, mm-hmm. you're still fostering happiness. Oh, yeah. How do you, how do you, what, what's maybe the, the thing you're happiest about right now in your life? And, oh, and then also, wow. how do you foster happiness? Well, I'll tell you the ha- the the thing that makes me most happy right now is a, a two year little two year old little boy and a four month month old little girl and one on the way. <laughs> I, I had no idea. I'd always heard that grandchildren uh, were the best things ever, and I thought I I thought I understood that until I had my own, and I realized it's a hundred times that. So uh, the things that bring me the most uh, happiness right now are. are uh, two little, little babies. Uh, but there are moments, you know, happiness is an emotion. It's an emotion that is uh, fleeting. It comes and it goes. Uh, we don't live in a state of perpetual happiness. I wish we did, but we don't. Um, but there are moments of happiness that we can find even in, in periods of grief, we can find happiness and joy and sorrow can coexist. It can, and it does coexist. But, uh, I think, I think that, uh, and, and you'd be, you may not be surprised, but uh, because you're a nurse and you're around some, some, uh, a lot of caregivers, but funeral directors are some of the craziest, funniest people you've ever been around, <laughs> and not just funny looking. <laughs> uh, but we we have a good time, and uh, we know when to be 
professional and uh, uh, we obviously know when to when, when when times are not humorous and we we get in there but when when we can have fun we have fun as well and we celebrate lots of little moments uh, working in a funeral home uh, you'll find some of the, the the most humor you you could be around working with people in funeral service it's an outlet for us you know humor is an outlet for us and we find humor in a lot of different things so so uh, but I guess I got off on humor there but but true true happiness there are moments of happiness. Uh, every every day. I mean, I I just I, as I was preparing for this and trying to get in a a mind of thinking through uh, what this interview was going to be like, I sat out on the front porch of my funeral home, wh- which is a place of real peace for me. Uh, I have a water fountain and I have beautiful flowers and and uh, the breeze, the the fall breeze is is cool out today and it it, uh, it gave me strength in my spirit and. And I find moments of happiness throughout the day in many, many different areas. So uh, I think it's important that even even in the midst of grief that we find moments of happiness. Well, finding them, uh, it, it, it sounds like you're intentional about looking for them. As oh, yes. Well. Yes. Not being that. Well, you called it a worry ward earlier. I haven't, right. I haven't heard that phrase in a long time. <laughs> but I want to I want to go to that that humor side because, sure. uh, you know, that's. People wonder probably how uh-huh. to find humor. Is there humor in working with the deceased? Uh-huh. Um, and maybe well, I, if, if I'm listening and I'm hearing you talk about there's humor behind the scenes, I kind of want to peek behind that. Oh, curtain. you want to know? <laughs> <laughs> sure, sure. Well, uh, something inappropriate or appropriate. Right, depending right. On. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll try to keep everything appropriate. Uh, although there are, are many, many things that uh, happen that uh, uh, maybe we, we find humor in. Uh, but I don't know what we would do without humor. And, and yes, there is humor and laughter, even in the midst of grief, whether it's with families. In fact, uh, you know, we, we talk about the paradox of emotions. Uh, and, and we can go in grief, we can go from laughing one minute to crying the next. And, and that's a good, when I'm meeting with a family and I see that range of emotions, uh, where we're laughing and then we're crying. This is a healthy family. When, whenever I see only laughter, no tears, or I see only tears and no laughter, then I know they have a rough road ahead. They've got, they're going to have some serious uh, problems in their grieving. But, um, and that's, that's speaking to family. I, I made me think of a, a time, maybe this borderline's appropriate. I don't know. It's a good Christian family <laughs> I was meeting with. And, and I don't think I've ever laughed as much as where we make arrangements for for uh, this this fellow who had passed away, but the family we, we had gotten to the point about uh, life insurance and and uh, he worked for General Motors and the family uh, told us that they had went to call the General Motors benefit line the 800 benefit line and I guess it had become when they when they downscaled General Motors and they they got rid of a lot of those phone lines this had been picked up by some uh, you know, like a phone sex thing. And in <laughs> <laughs> this family and one of the boys said, well, I wonder why every other day dad was saying he's got to go check his general motors benefits. He's got to call general motors, see what the benefits are. So, uh, after he had passed, they called that number to see what his life insurance was. And it, and it turned out to be that line. So they're there in the, in the family laughed and, and, uh, they there is just all kind of humor uh, in, a, in a time of, of loss. I remember uh, 
I remember this gentleman uh, I later buried. I've, I've buried this entire uh, family over the years, but but uh, he he had uh, he was really frail and and had gone down to nothing size wise. And his wife had just gotten him a brand new pair of pants at Kohl's. And we were walking up to the casket after the after the funeral service of of his daughter who had passed. Uh, and she was elderly as well, but he was very elderly. But and they're helping, you know, they're helping Jim up to the casket. And we get up to the casket and all of a sudden his brand new pants just dropped all the way to the floor. <laughs> and the family just lost it. And I did with them. Uh, it's it's wonderful to be able to laugh with families, uh, you know, as, as much as, as cry with them. But, uh, yeah, that was, uh, you know, we That's sometimes amazing. you'll come out. Sometimes you'll come out to go to a funeral and there'll be 100 cars in procession. And the, the crazy funeral coach won't even start you know, the battery's gone dead or something like that. And so, uh, you know, a lot of times families find humor in that. Fortunately, it doesn't happen that often, but, but, uh, I remember one time it was cold out and here the funeral coach wouldn't start. And, and, uh, the boy said, yeah, that's mom. She's getting the last word in, you know, she's making this happen. <laughs> uh, so there, there is a lot of, a lot of humor that we, we have in a, in, in a funeral home for sure. I love that. Yeah. Uh, and I really appreciate the showing at the, uh, the, the showing there. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the showing at the showing. That's what I remember one time, uh, we were at a graveside and, and the, the family did not want to have military honors there. In fact, it was a, it was a gentleman who, who was a Quaker, a very, very good Quaker who Quakers typically didn't participate in the armed forces, but, but this one had, this gentleman had served and but they didn't want any military honors there, and so uh, they did want the casket draped with the flag. And and so we got out to the cemetery, and I told my other funeral director, I said, uh, Doug, let's let's uh, you know fold the flag, and pres- I'll present the flag. So we're standing there in front of a huge crowd of people, and we go to lift the cast the flag up off the casket, and then take a step back so we could fold it, and. There was the the vault, uh, the lowering device. There was a piece of wood sticking out of there that, unfortunately, I did not see ahead of time. And so uh, I go to take a step back, and and I can't go anywhere. And I just went over backwards. Thank God I didn't hit my head on a monument or something and die right in front of everybody. <laughs> but uh, but I landed. What I did, I stumbled back, and I sat down on the top of this monument, this other monument. And I was so off balance, my legs went up. I was like in a V formation <laughs> up in the air. <laughs> Family started laughing, but I didn't drop the flag. I, I mean, I would, have, I would have knocked myself out before I dropped the flag. And I was able to maintain, and I didn't topple completely over. I got my equilibrium while I was in a V formation and finally able to step <laughs> back. And uh, the family, uh, family had a lot of... Uh, uh, laugh about that. And, and I joined with him. It was, it was very funny. <laughs> well, you, you yeah. did say that you get down into the dirt with, that's with your clients. literally, <laughs> literally on that occasion. That That's for sure. Another, another quick, funny story. I just thought of, we had a, and there's so many, so many of them. We try our best to personalize funerals and, and, you know, find what made, what was meaningful to that individual. And this gentleman in town here, he had a, he had a parrot that went with him everywhere. You'd see him in the grocery store and he had this parrot named Bubba on his shoulder. And so, so when he passed away, I asked the family, I said, well, you know, where's Bubba? What's going on with Bubba? And they said, well, you know, he's at the house right now, but, um, 
we're going to, you know, try to find somebody that will take him because those parrots live like 120 years, you know, they live forever. And so I said, well, would you, would you, would you find it meaningful if you brought Bubba into the funeral home, you know, during the visitation, we, we have this nice round table in the center of the chapel. We could set him there and he could be here when people, oh, they thought that would be wonderful that Bubba would come to the visitation. They found a lot of meaning in that. So they brought Bubba in, in his cage and we set him in the middle uh, of the chapel on this round table. And what I didn't know about Bubba is that um, if you didn't pay, if, if you didn't pay any attention to him, he would say, help me, <laughs> help, somebody help me. And he sounded just like a person. And, and <laughs> so, and so he would, first of all, it kind of, it kind of got, it intensified if he was asking for help and nobody was paying attention to him. So he'd first start by saying, yo, help me. And nobody paid attention to him. And he'd get a little bit louder. Somebody help me. <laughs> and then, then if you didn't pay any attention to him, he would yell at the top of his own, help. And I had opened the door. Uh, family was coming in to view about the time Bubba lets out this loud help. And, and the look on these people's face, they thought, you know, something terrible was happening here. Somebody was needing help. And I said, Oh, never mind. That's Bill's, that's Bill's parrot. And they said, You've got Bubba here? And I said, Yep, Bubba's in the <laughs> Bubba's in the chapel. So after a while, Bubba got tired and he said, I want to go home. I want to go home. Bubba wants to go home. And finally the guy's daughter said, Hey, we're gonna have to take Bubba home. He won't stop. When he wants to go home, you have to take him home right then. So uh so that was the story of Bubba uh in in the uh Bubba the parrot. <laughs> but Bubba's just saying what everybody's thinking. So. That's exactly right. They want to go home too. That's right. <laughs> well, th there's a couple more questions I, I want to get to because because sure. uh, you you have a lot of leadership experience, um, both in at the state level for for your profession, the local sure. level, and, and your own uh, organization that you run um, uh, of your name. Um, so I wanted to get at least one question in on leadership. Um, so maybe just overarching, what maybe were the most difficult leadership skills for you to develop? Oh, well, I, I'm glad you asked a question about leadership, leadership, uh, and the study of leadership and the study of leaders has been a lifelong love of mine. Um, I, I am a certified, uh, John Maxwell coach and, uh, a leadership trainer and speaker, and I love leadership. Um, I think probably the hardest thing for me and, you know, as a leader, as an individual, our personality plays into everything we, we do. And so there are some leaders who, you know, you have to pull back the reins on. Uh, they have to be careful not to go too far. I guess the question that you asked me, what was the most difficult leadership skill? I, I think probably it's been believing maybe too much, having too much faith in, in some employees over the years that I felt like they could change, they could grow, and and really uh, it was time for them to go. And uh, I wanted them to grow, and I should have let them go. Uh, Bob Briner said, you know, it's not the employees that you fire that cause you trouble, it's the ones you keep. Mm. And, so, um, and so there have been a few over the years, and I've been very, very blessed with tremendous, tremendous uh, staffs over the years and staff members, but uh, I, I probably have made mistakes and that I should have 
let a few go sooner than I did. That, that, that's probably good advice for relationships as well. Right. Right. Yes. <laughs> it may not be the ones you hold on to too tightly when they're not willing to grow in the relationship. Exactly. Uh, it's the ones you, you just need to probably let it go instead of right. trying to make them grow. Yes, man. Yes. I feel like I could uh, try to pick your brain for forever, but uh, we're almost out of time. I understand. And I want. I want to give you one more opportunity. I like to do this mm-hmm. at the end of episodes, where just if there's something you want to leave our listeners with, uh, some action item on something we've talked about, sure, fear or 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 something inspirational, or you know, it, call my funeral home when you die. I, I don't know. <laughs> um, if there's something you want to talk directly to the listener about and leave them with. Uh, what, what would that be for Tom Sproles? Oh, that's good. I think that I would want the listener, uh, we haven't talked a lot about grief, uh, but but I think I would want the listener, if they only remembered one thing from this, is to just please show up when your fa- your family and your friends are grieving. No matter how uncomfortable it makes you feel, uh, just be there. You know, someone said that, I think it was Doug Manning, uh, a retired Baptist minister and a and a, a counselor, grief counselor, who said, people who are grieving need the three H's. They, they need you to hug them, they need you to hang around, and they need you to hush. And I think, I think that is probably what I would want to leave people with, is to show up and be there for your friends who are grieving and give them a hug but also shut up, hush, hush your mouth. They don't need advice. They don't need judgment. Uh, you know, they need a listening ear. The ear is the most powerful organ in the human body. The ear has the power to heal. Yeah. People heal themselves when they speak and we listen. People don't need our advice. They don't need, uh, they don't need to know what they should do next. Uh, they know inside, uh, they know what they need, uh, which is kind of the whole model that coaching is built around, uh, is that the answer already resides within you. You just need help bringing that out. And so people know what they need. Uh, they, they don't need your advice. They just need your listening ear. They need to, to process their thoughts and their grief. And so listening to them would be the thing that I would want to leave people with. I love that. And I think we, we talked about that quick to listen, quick mm-hmm. to hear, uh-huh. um, and slow to speak, slow to anger. Yes. Um, there's there's a lot of opportunities right now in our world to, uh, if you're not very good at it right now, listener, like me, uh, there's plenty of opportunities to practice just yes. showing up right. for others right, uh, and encouraging them with the power of presence and ministering from your your own point of pain, maybe. Sure. Just being there with them. Yes. Uh, well, Tom Trolls, thank you so much. Uh, truly appreciate you coming on Great Story Podcast today. Honored to be here. Thanks for the invitation. Enjoyed it. Well, I hope you enjoyed that just as much as I did my conversation with 
Tom Sproles, uh, he's a he's a great guy, great resource, um, and we'll be sure to put a link in the show notes of ways to contact him. He's a people person. He loves to help. He loves to serve, and we're very grateful for him taking uh, some time to talk with us and share with us and, and help us grow as a community. Um, like I said at the beginning of this, if you haven't gotten your registration done for Grace Story Conference, it is coming up quick, November 5 and 6. Uh, that's just next month uh, at the time of the recording of this podcast. Uh, you can head on over to GraceStoryMinistries.com and get that squared away. Get yourself ready. There's uh, links there as well, frequently asked questions, so that you can find out the best place to get uh, hotels and, and things like that, your lodging squared away. Um, use the, the promo code PODCAST25 to make sure you save 25% off of your admission price to uh, the, the great, great uh, resource that Grace Story Ministries has put together there with Grace Story Conference 2021. We'd love it if you'd share this episode uh, and the podcast with three of your friends. Uh, the, the best way for this podcast to continue to grow is word of mouth. And you, our community, are you're the best ambassador we have for Grace Story Podcast and Grace Story Ministries in general. Uh, so we hope that you'll share this episode. If you've gotten something out of it, I know someone else will get something out of it too, especially when we have these quality guests on like Tom Sproles. We'll be back in two weeks with another episode. Uh, until then, don't give up on your journey of restoration. I hope you'll come back and, and be with us again for that next episode. There's no us without you. Uh, so we'll see you at conference. We'll see you on the next episode. And until then, we'll be praying for you on your journey of restoration. See you next time.